This is The Michael Bryan Show. Hi everyone, welcome back to the show. And today I'm joined by Sadie Katz, who is an actor, actress, whichever you prefer, and a producer. Sadie, thanks for being a guest on the show. Thank you for having me, especially so far away yet so close. So thank you. Definitely. Yeah, you're you're based all the way in the States, aren't you? So it's very, very strange that technology allows us to do this everywhere we go. Um, yeah. what what I was curious about when I was reading in to yourself, Sadie, is you've been on a bit of a, a bit of a ride, if you will, just getting into acting in the film world. So shed a bit about how you got started. Um, gosh, it's well now it's I'm aging myself always. It's been 20 years of me living in L.A. Uh, I moved here after I was a single mom and I had been married and religious, but I um, left, I, when my son was a year old, we moved to LA for me to pursue acting and, you know, decided to relocate with my son, which is so crazy because I don't know if I would have had the guts to do it now. You know, when you're young, everything feels romantic and you feel invincible. So I had that and I just kind of did it like this is the old school traditional way is like you used to come, you, you know, you pick up backstage west or drama log, you, uh, you know, take your headshot, your resume, you put it in the um, envelope and you would mail it. It's changed so much. Like it really had, this is Buffy, by the way. <laughs> and um so yeah, it's changed so much, but it's still the same thing of like, I started doing student films to build up my reel. I studied, I continued studying acting, um, Meisner, Stella Adler, Uta Hagen, like you name it, method acting, whatever. Um, and I just like, you know, I, I would get really nervous and throw up before my auditions because I was so excited. And I just decided to stick with it no matter what. And then, you know, that is the thing. It's kind of amazing because then uh, I, I think if you stick with anything, you kind of get what you want. Maybe not on the level you want it, but, you know, you you learn by experience and then slowly it builds and builds. And, you know, that's kind of what happened with me, uh, which was super exciting to me. Did you have a vision of what you wanted and then it's turned out quite closely that how do you picture the idea of like setting goals and visualizing what it is that you want versus how it can turn out oh that's a good question um I think that for me I've always been like kind of a type and really goal oriented um like sometimes I'm like I should just quit like it's okay to quit. And I have these huge things where I'm like, I'm just going to quit. Like, why? What's the big deal? I'm going to quit. But um, then there's this little stubborn thing that's like, okay, I'll quit after this. Once this happens. So like, you know, I, if I went back to my 23 year old self and said, you're going to start in a movie that is, you know, at, Best Buy and it's for sale at Walmart. I would have been like, that's enough for me. Just one movie, that's enough. 
And then I think the more you realize how that works, the greedier you get, the more you keep setting your sights. I believe in doing shorter term goals that are accessible. I think it's like a, an artist thing that, that makes it really difficult if you say things like, I need to get an Oscar. Like it's kind of goofy because there's so many other elements. So I try to think of like what things are in control that I can do and keep pursuing. And, you know, like right now I'm, I'm producing something and that was like a huge goal to open up my own production company. Um, but I, I decided that during COVID. So, you know, this was like the third script we pitched uh, the other two we're like this and then it went through. So I'm actually shooting December 6th, another film, but I was supposed to do another one December 6th, like six months ago. That fell through, it broke my heart, but I was like, let's do it again. And and it ended up, you know, with the new script, we ended up going, we're on the same schedule. So that's cool. <laughs> it is cool. And that does speak to constantly moving forwards and trying to keep building the momentum for yourself things don't always go the way that you want them to but then you mentioned stubbornness is actually quite interesting I think a lot of people tend to think that way when you're pursuing something there's always that element of but the next one will be fine or I can push through this and we have this story we we play in our heads if you will that makes us think that we can keep going I I love that you said that because it's a big joke in 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 LA especially in indie film is you know shit hits the fan everything's going crazy you somehow work it out and then everyone says you know at the rap party or drinks afterwards like that was tough the next one's going to be so much easier um yeah i think you have to fool yourself i think it's like parents who have kids they forget how hard it is you know they go through having the one kid the pregnancy and you know the, the mom's like never again never again and then two years later you just, you're a glutton for punishment, but you have to be like this weird, optimistic, um, <laughs> uh, realist, but not realist at all to dive back in again and again. Like, it's it's kind of funny. Like later on, you're going, why am I doing this? But, you know, you have to think that way. <laughs> I find it interesting how... We find a way of staying the course. We find a a way of convincing ourselves to stay in the course versus quitting and and doing something else. So out of curiosity, Sadie, how often would you say you've contemplated stopping, contemplated doing something, you know, that involves stopping the acting and the producing? and then found a way to keep going. How often would you say you do that? In the last 20 years? Um, well, when I was younger, like every two months, like I was always like, you know what it is? It's always, it's always. Um, but it's like a day where, you know, as an actor, you go, cause we do home auditions almost exclusively. So, I mean, that's a really weird thing for me to go 
oh, I have an audition to be killed. And I have a stage set up in my bedroom. So I'm like, what time of the day do I feel like crying by myself in a room begging for my life? And so that, you know, you do enough of those, um, you know, just crying lifetime movie stuff or just very, you know, taxing and you don't get bugged and you're like, you know what? I'm spending so much time. Just forget about it. I always feel I have a day where I'm like, I'm out of here. I'm done. Take this. And then I wake up the next day and I'm like, Eureka. I don't, I, I probably do say Eureka, but uh, I'm like, I have an idea. I'm going to do this. Like, I think it's honestly, it's sort of like anytime anyone says you should quit or like, maybe you've done enough. Like you, you have all these films that you're the lead in and like, you know, you're stressed out all the time. It's like, please tell me to quit because that gives me like, it incentivizes me to, to do it more. And I, anytime I really get up on quitting, I feel like I just, uh, I'll think about that. And then the next day or two, I'll spend a day, you know, that's it. That's what I'm doing. And then the next day I'm like, well, what if I try it this way? Or, you know, maybe I need to just study my craft more. It's, yeah, it's never ending. At a certain point, you have to say, like, I know I'm saying I'm going to quit, but, like, I won't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I could definitely relate to that. The amount of times I've contemplated stopping, stopping a project or finishing something inside my head before it's actually finished. And I've been there where I've hoped that they've said no sometimes, and I've hoped that... They say, oh, sorry, we can't do this. In the back of my mind, I'm thinking, no, no. But then, oh, yes, at the same time, it's like, thank God for that. I don't have to go through the process of doing it or overcome all of the stress around it. Do you think that's a normal thing? You know what I think is a, a normal thing is you work really hard to get something, you're, you know, and then when you get it, you're like, oh. I have so much work to do. Like, this is insane. And when you're in the middle of it, I like right now, I keep going, what did I do? I mean, it's, it's really, it is a lot like, you know, I mean, it's not brain surgery, but it's a lot of moving pieces. And you're right. Like there's times where I'm going, I'm like, oh, you got the job. And I'm like, yay. Yeah, you know you have a lot on your plate. I don't know. I think that's normal. I think it's normal. I mean, but then when you get it, it's also normal to be jumping around the house. Like, are we the only, we're, besides I think like real estate agents and people in sales, it is like one of those jobs that gives you a lot of, you get a lot of rejection, but when you finally get something, it's like very validating because you earned it. Can you honestly say that the positives outweigh the negatives then? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, of course, because that it's the same thing of like someone who has a baby and they're like, that was the worst pregnancy of my life. You know, I'm scarred up from it. I'm never the same. And then they decide to get pregnant again because Ultimately, there's those moments that are just like, 
like, wow, that's great. Or, you know, you're dying to go to a screening where you're watching the film and you're going, you know what, that was great. Or you pick up friends along the way. But I mean, not always. I mean, there's a lot of times you're like, I'm broke. I'm working all the time. You know, it's not the high. People don't understand that acting, especially, is not always the highest paid job. Even if you get paid a lot, you're not working always. Con- like I'm working consistently, but not as, not always for the amount of wages. So, you know, our, our SAG ultra low budget wages in the U.S. are, I think it's two and a quarter a day. So, I mean, that's, if you're working a 12 hour day, that's below minimum wage, which is insane. But, you know, our major, our major cable networks, that's, they do a lot of shows like that, that are non-union. You're just lucky to work. You know, you're just happy to work and you have to remind yourself constantly um, what a gift it is to be able to do what you love. And like, we're artists, we chose, we chose the gangster life. (laughs) He <laughs> chose the gangster life. That's one way to put it. And a lot of people that choose what they do with their day, like they choose what they sustain themselves on financially and do all of those kinds of things. Very often, you've just got to be grateful that you're doing the thing that you chose to do. Yeah, I think that's like the big thing the last few days, I'm like running around and, you know, I'm producing this and it is a lower budget film. The script is fantastic, but I, I'm like not sleeping and I'm running things in my head and I keep reminding myself, like, this is what you want to do. Like this, you're excited and nervous, but it doesn't mean that you're not like having joy doing it. There's lots of little wins, like, you know, I'm applying for an app, uh, um, uh, I'm applying to uh, like a home rental or a soundstage, the one I really wanted and I got it. And I felt like that little heartbeat of like, you know, I won, I won that round. So yeah. yeah, isn't it important to be like, you love this, you love this just to keep saying it. Like you can complain a little bit, but you love it. I think it is that balance act, isn't it? Because I don't want to be in a position whereby I'm trying to convince myself that I enjoy it all of the time. But I, I can have days when I love it. I can have days when I don't like it as much. But then as long as I'm kind of trending in that direction whereby every day I enjoy it, even if it's not going exactly how I wanted it to go, then that's okay. I think we can feel almost guilty that we don't enjoy it sometimes, even when it could be so much worse. Do you ever have to convince yourself that you enjoy it? Do you ever have that conversation with yourself around, like, I should be grateful for this thing, but it's a bad day? How do you sit within that sort of contradiction with it? Oh, God. Um, well, I. I think like, you know, a couple, I won't name any projects, but like a couple of acting projects I went, like, I went, what am I doing here? Like, why am I, like, this film isn't going to, you know, change my life. It's, um, and it's not going to be like 
that great and the writing is not that great. And I, I feel like, oh, I'm, I'm lucky to have the part, but, and I feel like when I started to do that, I kept going, well, I'm going to make my own film the way I want it, uh, the way, you know, I wanted, um, I don't want to get too like feminist, but, you know, a character as a woman, that's not just, you know, I do a lot of crying and I'm like, I'm like, that's not every, that's not every reaction to things. Um, you know, when the world falls apart, you know, I like, I wanted to play a woman that was active um, in her pursuit and not like crawling up in a ball. But I do think that's what kind of gets you through is the day that you go, I wish this were different. I'm like, okay, if I wish this were different, what should I do to make it? What can I do or what goal can I place that I know I'm going towards that, which does kind of, if you have a little project on the side that's that you love, it makes the other stuff be okay to me. Yeah, that's a very interesting point, actually, because expecting everything to be perfect, probably a high bar. It's not all going to be exactly how you envision it but then if some parts of it are that balances the whole thing out and makes everything feel okay again is that why you got into producing things because you felt like you could do things a bit more how you envisioned them to be yeah I mean that's a big thing I, I I'm not I wouldn't say I'm controlling in my real life I'm kind of bohemian and can be a disorganized and messy but when it comes to producing it's like another cap I put on and I do get I don't want to use the word competitive but I get like when I'm working on a project as an actor I have to be quiet you know my job is to show up do my lines and let it go and there's so many times where I'm watching things and I go why are we doing it this way like why isn't this more organized so that was a thing where I went if I had full control of a project, especially like indie film, like if I had full control of a project and final say, um, and, you know, got to hire people that I trust to do their departments and things like what could happen. And the few projects that I have produced, this is a bigger one I'm doing now. I had were tremendously rewarding on one level of feeling like, you know, in it and being really proud of the end product and um, learning a lot. Like, it's crazy how every film, when you're on the other side, how much you learn. And it's so fast. It's every day. So I, I'm like someone who loves to take classes and I loved school. So it's kind of is exciting to me to be like, now I know how to do this. Now I understand this. Yeah. I read that you've got a real passion for learning and improving. Is that something that you've always had or is that something you had to develop over time? I think I've always liked to be a student. I always liked school. I liked my teachers. I liked to read. And um, I, I think some of it is just like, it doesn't mean I'm naturally good at it. I don't think people, like unless you're born you know, with music or whatever, you know, we can be chatty, but I think there is like a learning curve of anything. And I'm, 
thank God for Google. I feel like I'm on Google like 30 times a day, but yeah, I think I love it. Like I really do. I'm, I'm wanting to direct something in the spring. That's been a big, I've, I've directed my doc, but a feature film and it's a script I've had been sitting on for like seven years. So the fact that I get to do it is amazing, but I'm like, you know, I should probably take a directing course and even like a, a DP course. So I more so I understand like angles and camera lenses, you know, I've been around enough to understand the other things, but I don't really know my lenses. So I'm excited for that. I'm like, okay, that will be a new thing I have. What I really like about that is how committed you are to it and learning the craft and trying to get better all the time. And it speaks to something that I heard you mention in a previous interview that I I watched you on. And it was about that you get obsessed with things. You get quite committed to certain <laughs> projects and you really dive in. Tell us a bit about that. <laughs> uh, that's so funny. I do. Um, I think my poor fiance, like who's also in the business, but like once I start working on something or writing or really anything, like I get very much, you know, I'll wake up and sit down on the computer uh, eight, barely brush my teeth, you know, grab a coffee. And I could easily sit there till eight at night and like go, you know, use restroom once and maybe grab a quick snack. I just, I feel like, yeah, I, I kind of approach things like that. If I, it's, I get in that groove and I get afraid of not staying in that groove and I want everything to be just so you know, my doc was over the top. Like it, I wanted, I learned a lot about like, you know, that, that was a weird thing because I was also, um, you know, in the doc <clears throat> and part of the doc, excuse me, was about being obsessed. So it started to filter over into my life, but yeah, I'm pretty, I'm pretty intense of like <laughs> going for something. And then, yeah, it becomes like my number one obsession. Do you have anything that you can advise people that want to be obsessed with something? They want to find something that they can get fully involved with and really commit to it, you know, get as obsessed as you can. Is it something that you can help people with, something that you can point to someone wanting to find that for themselves? What would you suggest? I mean, for me, it's it's less about comparing yourself to others and challenging yourself to do like your personal best. And and I think the big thing is like rewarding yourself. I mean, even if it's like I'm going to make dinner and I don't feel like doing it, um, but I want to be into it like I'm having a dinner party to me, like to just throw yourself in is once you get used to that, I think you start getting obsessed with doing things a certain way. You know, I've been to someone's house where it's like they've made spaghetti and like thrown a salad in a bag and I'm appreciative for it, but they don't get the reward of what that is because they haven't given a, a big effort to it. But when you put a lot of effort, you kind of, 
I think you get rewarded on some level personally, even if everyone hated your food or, you know, so I don't, I think an obsession doesn't have to necessarily be something you always love. It, you know, it turns into that because you get obsessed chasing that, you know, self-fulfillment for what you're, what you're doing. Like, Hey, I did my, I did my personal best. And then the next day, how can I, like, I want to push myself more. I don't know. There's some people who aren't, who aren't like that. You know, there's some people who want to work at an office that they job and they choose their family to be more of their obsession, which is like, that's their right. I just feel like if you're going to show up to do something, you should show up and do 110%. It happens quite often in sports as well, where the better they get, the more they commit to their thing, it pays dividends, right? It's like it always comes back to them based on how much time they invest in learning something, how much effort they put into the performance, I suppose you could call it. That tends to come back. That tends to yield something, even if it's just satisfaction that you did your best. I can't tell you how many times I sat there and gone, it wasn't that great, like objectively, like it wasn't really good, but I couldn't have done anything any better at the time. Sometimes the only thing that I get from something is that it was my best. Everything else falls apart. <laughs> yeah, do you feel like, so as an actor, I never understand when other actors show up to like premieres and they don't want to watch the movie. I'm like, I don't care if it's like a mess. The movie's a mess or the lighting's bad. I want to show up and like see whatever I did on screen and go, well, that was my personal best. It's not up to me to finish product. You know, I'm just like a cog in the machine. But I do think you should celebrate what you do based on, you know, you're, per you're so right, your personal best of like, well, that's what I did in that situation. And I'm going to be proud of that. Even if it's just like, hey, I showed up and, and like, you know, the movie's not my type of movie, but I'm committed fully, you know, which is really rewarding. I think that there's a lot to be said for trying to aim for that or trying to aim for the fulfillment and the satisfaction and I think there's a real sense of being able to let go of the result if as you said you're more of a cog in a machine of the other actors all coming together and you can't fully control how amazing the film turns out because of everything and all of the moving parts that go into it. Is that something that you think can put some people off from celebrating? Like in a way it's not fully theirs to celebrate? I mean, the best part of filmmaking is kind of the teamwork. Like when it's working well and everyone shows up and does their best, like maybe, maybe your editor dropped the ball and another thing, but like if, if I see, you know, we're, we're at a premiere or a rap party, I, I feel like, Hey, we did, we did our jobs the best. And, and, you know, normally the crew, you're like, you were so great. I, I mean, 
I think that's that's enough. And it's the it's the cherry on top. If you know you see the film and you go, everything worked exactly how we wanted, and it came out even a better project. That's really awesome. But just finishing a film and getting it distributed is such an accomplishment. Like it, it people not. You know, not it's like you read a review and someone says, Oh my god, I you know, I hated the movie, I love the movie. It, it's like, you know, it's not all the films I've done have been indie films, in fact, half of them haven't, but they're still like labors of love, they're not you know, 15 million dollar films. Um, and that's I mean, what else do you want? Like not every, it's, it's, a, it's the weirdest business because if you talk to someone who said they like to paint and you went to their house and looked at their paintings and you go, that's pretty good. Like, I don't know how to paint. You wouldn't say, well, are you sad that you're not as famous as Michelangelo? Like you would never, no, you don't expect every, every artist doesn't expect to be in the top, you know, 0.02%. Like, Part of being an artist is just getting to do what you love. I think that that speaks to the the goal of things sometimes. Like if your goal is to be famous or your goal is to make a lot of money, would you say that can detract a little bit from the fulfillment element? Almost like you can feel like they're pulling on each other a little bit? Yeah, I mean, look, in LA, I don't know how it is on the other side of the pond, but like the whole idea about the secret became like this huge thing. If you want it bad enough, you visualize it, write yourself a check for a million dollars. And I think that's kind of like, it's a nice thought. It really is, but it's kind of bullshit to think that way where, like, why are you setting... (laughs) You're setting yourself up to fail, right? So, or to never be happy. So I do think that it's it's better to make your goals in bite-sized pieces so you get to celebrate personally each step of the way. Um, not that you're not going to cry, not that you're not going to sometimes think like, I work really hard and I can't believe I didn't get this. You know, there's a lot of rejection, but... I, I do think if you make your goals realistic, they can always be like, you know, my goal to, to, you know, early on was to be the lead in a movie that comes out in the theaters. Like, wow, that to me was like a gigantic goal. So the first thing was, you know, my goal is to have my reel. My goal is, you know, to be paid for my, you know, 20 years ago to be paid for my first acting job. My next goal is it. So, I don't I don't I think the goal should be like short term, but also looking at the long term. But I think if you get obsessed with the long term, you miss all the wins you have to celebrate for the short term to keep you going, to keep you like alive and happy. I find that that's a little bit of a a skill in some ways. Like being able to celebrate, set small goals, see how they all fit into the bigger picture. If the bigger vision changes, then maybe the smaller goals and tasks may have to shift a little bit to get you there. I find that's a real skill that some people have and some people just don't have. What do you think? I think some people are, don't, they don't want to celebrate their wins enough. So I think you're right. So, and that to me, 
I would say is the most important thing is like when you're alone, you, you know, you look at something, you go, I made this, you know, there's some things that I might be able to change, but this exists. Like I made this, it can't be taken away, good or bad. Um, and then when something is you're really proud of is to really say like, I'm, I'm super stoked about this. And I, I always think like, no one can be your cheerleader like you can be your own cheerleader. So that way, when you're getting kicked in the face and you're like, I want to quit, I want to quit. You remember like, yeah, but I owe it to me to do, you know, it's going to feel so good to me um, for setting those things up. So then it doesn't become external. You know, it, it becomes very much you. And if your if your goal is, let's say, you know, your goal is to have a movie come out and you want it to be a hard copy, but it goes to streaming. Uh, I think then you, you celebrate that and then you go, okay, streaming, I, I met that goal. My next goal is to do the hard copy, but it doesn't take away from this film. And God, I just, that's like really important to me. That's, that's how I don't jump out my window and run away forever. That's, that's, uh, <laughs> that's definitely one way to put it, Sadie. Yeah, that's stopping me from jumping off the cliff, Mike. That's... <laughs> it's true. <laughs> that's really funny. <laughs> so you got into the producing from the acting. If I'm right, it was after the, the documentary, you really dove into the producing a bit more full-time shall we say what satisfaction fulfillment do you get from producing bit of a tough question now but you don't get it from acting what's the real distinction between the two for you oh gosh I acting is you know you're standing there you've got your lines you're in your bubble and you don't have any control of the outcome you know, you're only in that moment of what you can give to that moment. And I think producing like this particular project, because this is my biggest, you know, project besides my doc, which I have to tell you, my doc was so important to me because I, I had to stick with it. And everyone was like, you should just quit. You should quit. And I, um, so that was rewarding for me, but that's a documentary and, you know, I learned a lot, obviously, from it. But for this, I'm like, I'm hiring my crew. Like, I'm the boss. And not in a, in a crazy way, but in a way of like, oh, I'm going to bring together this really bitchin' team that I'm going to pick my favorite people or get recommendations. So that's really cool because people are grateful about the work. Um, you know, helping cast the actors is so that's really rewarding. And then also just shaping, you know, shaping the film and seeing it, seeing like, oh my gosh, I, I didn't know I was going to get this location. I didn't know. Um, I was going to, I just added like a, a, a Dolly Crane or Jim, excuse me, this morning found one for rent. And I was like, oh my God, that's such a, so as an actor, you would never, 
it's just not something that comes up and you know I'm, I'm like this is an exorcism maybe and on the phone with the director and the dp and saying like what could we do to make it better within the budget it's there is a lot of like it's like doing a puzzle and you're the one with the puzzle pieces trying to put them all in and then um you know, trying to finish it. I, it is really rewarding. I, I'm acting in this, so it's a little bit stressful because I know I have to show up and like give a performance as an actress and let the producing stuff be, you know, my AD and, and have that shift for a little bit. But like, I can't wait to go into post. Like that's a, that's a whole other thing. And, um, because I know the film will change and that's another thing you don't get to do as an actor. It's like you walk off the set and claps, they give you your money. And then, you know, you hope that they do it within the next six months to a year uh, and they finish it and they, you know, choose the best takes. And How have you handled wearing the different hats? Has that been an easy thing or have you had to figure that out as you went along? I just cry myself to sleep every night. It's okay. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, the hardest part, honestly, is raising money. Like no one, no one really talks about that. And no one really knows like the key to that. Um, it's really, it's really difficult. I mean, I would like to one day figure out how these people raise like $5 million. How the hell do they do that? It's so hard just to raise a lower amount. Um, that's the part that it's like you're on pins and needles because you're working on the, you know, you're working to do the film investors flake. You have to find another investor. Um, and it, that becomes really heart wrenching and really tough. It's also, it's like you're coming up to someone and you're selling them a product that doesn't exist yet. And you're telling them, give me your money and trust that this product is not only going to exist, but it's going to be good that you'll be proud that you're involved in it and it's going to sell. I feel like I have no problem getting distribution on a film. You know, I've been around it for a long time. I've handled that before, you know, getting someone who doesn't know you well to give a huge chunk of money and be on board for it. And they have to trust that you're going to stay in budget. That's a big deal because um, if it, you like don't handle the budget properly the film isn't finished and then you have to go to them and say i need more money they're kind of stuck and you want to not put anyone in that position is there more to it than just return on investment for these people is it the satisfaction that they contributed to it is that enough to get them over the line is it all about like how well the film does to get that investment back plus probably a bit more i think your best investor is someone who's not broke um they're not like relying on that because you don't know you you can't guarantee the roi you can't or how long that will take um i also think you know one of the things is these people, you know, a lot of filmmakers on their first film will go, I need $500,000. I'm like, why is your budget so big on your first film? Like, make it small enough that you do get the investor gets their money back. Um, I think a lot of investors, at least in LA, 
um, especially for like films that are under $500,000, they really like, they want to be in the film. They want a part. They want the poster on the wall and they'd be like, I was the EP. I mean, it takes yeah. like a, it takes a certain kind of person to want to do that. It's normally not someone in the industry. It's, you know, your uncle Pete who like, is always, you know, watching from afar or um, a friend of a friend or someone who knows that's your best. I mean, you can, I can be like, especially for horror films, like, Hey, these sell, they, they do well. Um, you know, it's a genre that does well, but I don't think that you always like open with that. It's something, it's part of it, but you're also asking people like, do you want to have the, a really amazing journey. Filmmaking is a really fun journey on most films you do. Just watching it from the beginning, you know, pre-pro production and post. And then if you do festivals or whatever you do to distribute film, it's really fun. I mean, you're, you're entering like a small business and I'm like, I, there's nothing more, um, I mean, there's things fulfilling, but I think it's fun to watch that happen. It, it really is. So I think that's kind of what you got to dangle. You know, you dangle a carrot, but it, I think it's better if you dangle like a realistic carrot, um, you know, and get them excited about the, the creative endeavor and then let them know, like, I think that it's this thing that like 50% of films don't make their money back, but that's not actually true. Um, that is actually like a skewed thing because so many films on book don't make their money back. Or I mean, like it, it also, the percentage of that gets kind of screwed up by studio movies that like claim matrix made no money back. So that changes it, but it's not necessarily true. A lot of films, I just read this huge article. I'm like, I need to include that in my packet. Um, a vast majority of like 65 to 75% do make their money back under certain terms. So it's, it's not as, you know, if you make a good film and you, you know, the formulas of like, you know, the script and how to market it and the trailer and the cover art and, you know, doing some casting with like some recognizable names and whatever genre you're in those all increase the likelihood that you're going to make more money. Just picturing Uncle Dave wanting a part in the film and he's going to put like five grand towards the film where he wants a small part, he wants to walk in, grab a coffee and then walk out. And it's like, I'm prepared, I can do that. I can, I can do it. Okay, Dave, yeah, all right. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, tell, tell Uncle Dave, be like, the five grand is nice. You know, we can use 50 grand. We'll give you, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't, I'm kind of against like, not that I blame anyone, but like the crowdfunding, I think is, oh, look at the kitty. Uh, crowdfunding to me is like not the way I want to do things. It, it obligates you to all these people and it's a little pay to play, but that works. Like I know some filmmakers that like people love that. That's great. but. Um, it is true. All it is true. All executive producers on any level, they love to have a part in the film. 
it's I, I get it. It's exciting. And so, uh, yeah, Uncle Dave gets a part. <laughs> it, it's a bit strange for the average person that has never been in a film before to get the chance to be in a film. It's like, it's almost like a childhood dream of some people to be in a film. And if they can contribute to the film and they get their name on the sort of the cast and special thanks to, and we'll use Uncle Dave again, and Uncle Dave is up there, right? <laughs> and he's fulfilled his childhood dream of being in a movie. And it can be quite a powerful experience to a lot of people especially if it's not normal for you you know like you talk to people like the rock that's in a film every couple of months and it's like it's normal to be one of the main actors in the film because of who he is and what he's done and how amazing he is at doing the job that doesn't happen to the majority of people does it so you know when you're in LA everyone's in like the film business so sometimes you forget and then I'll be like with my family and talking to their friends and they're like, oh my God, your life is so exciting. And <laughs> I, I'm like, yeah, it's really fun. Like I'm grateful. It's really fun. But you forget, you forget that people do watch the scroll of like films that they're in or things and they're pointing their name out. So yeah, I, I think that it's, you forget that someone from, you know, another country or from, you know, Michigan or whatever. Yeah, it's super exciting for them. And and it's actually really exciting, too, to be like, I invested in a film. And um, I, I keep saying this because I, I really like this is like the poster on the wall. You see your name and you go like, I did that. Like, I'm part of that big thing. It is It is cool. But yeah, you forget that being in like, being on a TV show, you know, my fiance is a producer of like unscripted reality stuff. He's been doing true crime for oxygen and he's been doing it so long that he doesn't even watch the show when it airs. So <laughs> it, I'm like, we're not going to see it. We don't have cable. So and oxygen's on cable and he goes, well, I made it. Like his mom will watch it and take a picture of like his name on the screen but you do get a teeny bit jaded the more you work. You do get a little bit. I'm still like, I still get pretty stoked every time. Is that something you have to talk yourself into being or do you still sort of turn into the, the little kid when you see your name in lights on the screen? <laughs> well, it depends on the film. There's some films you're like this. <laughs> hand over your face yeah. you're, you're just like Fuck. Uh, but I kind of just have fun with that and you know I still invite my friends I did this project like eight years ago and it was actually in a lot of theaters and I invited a bunch of my friends and no one was in the movie theater and they just took the I think what you would say they took the piss out of me and we were just laughing and enjoy it's still the fact that they don't have a movie in the movie theater so like it was it was still really kind of fun and enjoying you know not taking yourself too seriously and it's it's kind of a bummer when you really, really love something and you're like, I can't. When the when this comes out, the world is going to be like, this is the greatest thing ever. And then you've got like the 10 assholes who are the only ones who write 
reviews and they're all really negative and weird. Like I, I watched the first minute of this movie and I, you know, these filmmakers should be killed. And you're like, what? But <laughs> yeah, true. You know, it, it's all sort of, it's all really fine. Like I always say I'm too far in it now to turn back. So I might as well enjoy it. It's a very interesting point about that. Sometimes we're in the world and that comes with the territory almost, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, I like reading reviews, even if they're terrible. Um, and I've read some, I've seen some funny reviews on YouTube that are just like, I always thank them. I'm like, that's someone who made them, who watched the movie purchased it or you know it's part of their amazon prime whatever but they still like i still it was in their living room doing what i love to do and um that's cool like i i love that so what does the future look like for you then do you think you'll still act will you try to go bigger and better or will you spend more time producing like what's the future like for you I'm hoping I always get to act. I really do love it. Um, I, I would like to do more like television. So my acting, I kind of feel like it's just steadily moving along. And hopefully by like producing this movie, it's an elevated horror film. So I really, you know, that that kind of feeds, they both feed each other. Yeah, I think I would love to be at a stage where each film I produce um, gets like one better you know, a little bit more, a little bit bigger budget and also get to the point where like, I have a stack of scripts here and I, that I'm going to find that diamond in the rough. And that would be very cool. You know, the older you get, you also go like, okay, I'm acting, but what areas can I also do that are also fulfilling that won't leave me feeling cheated or, you know, so I, that's, I'd like to keep producing and, um, you know, keeping the acting role, but I'd like my production company, obviously, to grow. Um, that would be really, that would be really great. I expect it to, if it's something I, you know, I tried to do a podcast and the one thing about the, my podcast, I really enjoyed it, but I realized you need more people or it's a, it's a commitment. It's like a whole other genre of, you know, and I realized it was taking more time than I was able to give. So I think being a filmmaker, it's all in the same genre, really. So that makes it easier because they do feed each other rather than the podcast. I was like, hats off to you because it's actually so much more work than people realize. When I first started my show, I had no idea how much work it would have taken. I was so naive with the whole thing I had a headset I had my phone and when I interviewed people I didn't use video it was literally just essentially recording phone calls and that was my podcast I thought this is great this is amazing I don't mind talking to people on a one-to-one -one basis because I'm quite introverted so I didn't like the idea of like four people is a crowd to me. So like one-to-one -one is great. I can handle that. But then when it all came about, the things started to pick up a little bit. Things started to take off and people listening. 
I then gradually started to build in the tech around it, the extra commitment around editing, because I didn't even edit. It was literally record, done, finish, next one. Record, done, finish, next one. That was basically all I did. And it just gradually became what it is today, which I'm amazingly grateful for. But what I noticed was when I could do it, when I had a bit of practice, because I do a lot of practicing behind the scenes, a bit like you, I can get a bit obsessed with certain parts of it. I thought, right, I could probably actually edit a show properly rather than just decide to do it on one of the next episodes. And it turned out to be awful because I hadn't practiced beforehand before actually editing my first one so it took a lot of gradual building but to say that I didn't have an audience when I started my show would be an understatement I didn't have anyone I didn't pre-launch any of it I didn't have a marketing budget it was literally free software on my phone that allowed me to record headset which is probably the cheapest I could probably afford at the time and that was it and I was that naive that it took about a year maybe even more than a year before people actually paid attention because no one was people were like what's this so it took about a year I was going to ask you like I, I sort of felt like when I was doing it I was enjoying it but I also I have to be honest like I watched the interviews and I realized like oh I'm used to being interviewed. I'm not used to interviewing other people. And I felt myself, I like watching myself. I'm like, I would get nervous. So I would like compensate. And I felt like, oh, I'm interrupting people. And then I look at YouTube and people on YouTube will tell you right away if they don't like what you're doing. And that hurt me more than like a, a, a film review because I kind of knew like, oh my God, they're right. So that, that was the thing where I'm like, I'm just not ready for that. And you're right. I needed to rehearse and do some dry runs. And I didn't know that. I mean, it's like, if you don't know that stuff, it's a, it's such a can of worms, like one thing. So one day maybe, but I'll, I'll leave it to you, the professional. <laughs> well, I, I think that you might be in a better position because of your experience. I think your commitment to the films and the marketing and understanding that you may have to have a budget for your show in terms of marketing, that could speed up the whole process. Like It took me a year just for people to pay attention because I was just using social media and that was it. No one shared the shows. There was no promotion from the guests because I didn't really mention it. I didn't. I just got on and talked to them. I was just so grateful that they would even talk to me that I didn't consider the product, if you will, that was the podcast. I didn't consider it to be marketable because I was just talking to people. I didn't do anything else with it because I didn't really think it would actually become anything, if that made sense. So I didn't actually take the action as if it was something because I didn't actually think it was. So I think that your experience would probably speed up 
the whole learning process. But then similar to what we talked about before is that similar to movies, it's a lot of problems get solved when you can afford to solve them. Like there's a problem. Okay. But what's the solution? Great. Great. Well, we'll organize that. The solution's always like my, I mean, it's like that in real life. You know, people say money can't buy happiness but i'm like it certainly makes everything it makes everything easier your worst day you're like you know what i'm gonna go get a massage and reset um but yeah that's money uh yeah i i i feel like the one thing is you're right like social media people don't really share podcasts it's it's like you know it there was a time when they they kept saying if you hire influencers for your movie you know I, I, this made me crazy but if people have a million instagram followers and you put them in your movie if 10% order the movie it's going to be a big deal but i don't think there's a lot of crossover it's like podcasts live in podcast land and you know, Facebook is, is different and, you know, Twitter and they, they don't always share as much as you think. And that's, that was surprising to me because I was like, oh, I'm going to put out my episode and put it, you know, share it on Facebook. And I have 5,000 friends I communicate with all the time. And on Instagram, I have 11,000, so piece of cake. And that's the most surprising thing. And then I would find out like, oh, people have been listening to it on iHeart and iTunes. Like, I don't, I don't know if that's from people I know exactly, or if that's that or that are in like my friend thing that I've advertised. So yeah, I mean, I feel like one day I'll do it again if I have a partner to do it with. And if I'm free, you know, I, I listen to so many podcasts on um youtube i watch a lot of them like i'm that's i watch that more sometimes than, you know movies because that's i'm like falling asleep to it yeah i think similar to movies it's its own little world like some people love watching movies some yeah. people love listening to podcasts yeah. What I've found is that movies and films are definitely more share-friendly than mm-hmm. podcasts are. Like when a big movie comes out, people watch it. They take pictures of themselves watching it. They take screenshots to do all the sort of social side of when a movie comes out. And then everybody shares it. It's completely different when it comes to a podcast. And I think a part of that comes from like the radio culture because people don't share radio stations. So oh, why would they share podcasts? Oh, I, I never thought of it that way. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. I mean, there is like, what's the, is it SoundCloud where people share their songs? So that's like kind of cool, but you're right. It's, it's a different beast. I think, yeah, I think like you did, you have to be on it long enough to understand the algorithms, which is the same for like film or I, I'm sure any product you're selling at all is like finding out that learners, what is it, the learning curve of it? So, yeah. I definitely agree with that. I think you it's a whole different planet that you've got to navigate. You've got to learn there are different rules, different 
there's a different culture around it as well. How do you speak to people? How do you communicate? What's the best way of, of doing it? And you find your version of that sometimes. My version of that is different to somebody else's. It's different to somebody else's. And we use the, the rules of the, the space of the industry and then what we do with that and we turn that into our own our own version of it because there's no point in just doing it your way if nothing works because you don't get the benefit from your independent go-getter I am gonna smash the world to pieces and put the world to rights if you will with my podcast no one will listen to it if you don't play by the rules of how to get people to listen to it so I think there's a real sense of use the tools your way but there are still tools out there that you've got to use yeah I I agree it's like a you know when people say like you should write what you know I'm like that's not really true um that's nice it's a luxury but really you should should do what's commercial if you want to keep doing it like that's the end of the road where you're like oh i've had the these wins same thing with the i'm sure putting in money uh for podcasts or any you hear that a lot with artists where they think that they produce the material like if you build it it will come and there's so much competition online that Maybe for, you know, everyone has that one story, but they also have that one story of an actor who was like discovered walking down the street, but that's one in a billion. It's not the norm. So, yeah, I mean, even when people are pursuing acting, they're like, what should I do? Get a job that you can do that will work around your acting. Like I, and you'll feel so less stressed out about it long-term game it where like you just commit to doing it rather than giving yourself like after a year if this doesn't work I'm gonna quit that's that's really not the way to to work that (laughs) yeah it's so so short-term focused isn't it sometimes everyone tries to think of the short term rather than how can I do this full-time starting from scratch it's not going to happen short term is it Right, right, 100%. So, Sadie, this has been phenomenal. It's been very, very fascinating. And I've learned a lot. So just like you having a commitment to learning, this has been a bit of a learning experience for me. So I've really enjoyed it. I'd love to have you on again in the future at some point. This has been really, really cool. But for those that want to learn more about you, enter your world, maybe be the Uncle Dave that wants to support you at that bigger that bigger level with your movies, how can they find out more about you? Uh, my Instagram is under Sadie Katz, S-A-D-I-E-K-A-T-Z. My Twitter, which I'm not on that much, is Sadie underscore Katz. But yeah, if someone had a film or had questions, um, my production company is called See You Next Tuesday Films, LLC, and at Gmail. So that's spelled C-S-E-E-Y-O-U, Next Tuesday Films, LLC, at Gmail. And that's it. Thank you for having me. I learned from you, too. Um, thank you. You, you. you woke me up today.
Thanks. That's that's a very very good sign. I've woke I've woke my guest up. Those of you that are listening, <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to the show so you can check out all of our past and future guests. Leave a review, sharing what you thought, and if you feel the need to share on social media, tagging myself or Sadie, and we will see and probably engage and ask you what you thought. Have an amazing day, those that are tuning in, and I look forward to seeing you all again on the next episode. Sadie, thanks for coming on. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Just before you take off, if you'd like to join my inner circle, which is accountability, access to me, and you also get the chance to have exclusive interviews with my podcast guests. If you click the link in the description for the podcast, you get a two-month free trial in the inner circle. I shall see you on the other side.